1: Hey, what's up? It's Paige MacDonald, and this is your weekly music industry update. Molly Newman has been promoted to the newly created position of Chief Marketing Officer at Downtown Music Holdings. Veteran music executive and producer Irv Gotti has sold a stake in his master recordings to Olivier Chaston's acquisition vehicle, Iconoclast. Sony Music Publishing has renewed its global publishing deal with Latin Grammy winning songwriter, producer, and artist, and former and the writer is guest, Tiny. Pixel Links, a music metaverse platform started by Joel Zimmerman and Richie Houghton, has announced several new hires. LimeWire, which is the former file-sharing platform, recently relaunched as a digital collectibles marketplace and has officially rolled out its service with a superstar list of artists releasing NFTs on the platform. According to a new report from Twitch and the analytics platform Luminate, one in three people discover new music through Twitch. Hip-hop star Logic has signed to BMG for a licensing deal with marketing and distribution. The Copyright Royalty Board has maintained its decision to increase the headline rate paid to songwriters in the United States from on-demand streaming services between the years 2018 and 2022. Alicia Outridge has been named the first Chief Technology and Product Officer at TuneCore. The Amsterdam Dance Event has announced the first wave of artists for their October 2022 lineup. A big thank you to Hannah Rosenberg of Mega House for gathering today's news. Now, stay tuned for this week's episode of And the Writer Is.
2: Guys, listen up! Uh, last year we started working with Lamp. It's uh, it's a school called Los Angeles Academy for Artists and Music Production. That's uh, run by and founded by Stargate. Their mentor list is nuts. It's, you know, Benny Blanco, Tommy Brown, Tanase, Emily Warren, John Cunningham, you know, a bunch of people who've been guests on this show. So obviously, we're fans of them. And this school has been amazing. And I wanted to bring them back this year so they can tell you an update on how LAMP is going and ways for you guys to get involved in LAMP. Um, Tour, dude, good to catch up. It has been a very strange time in the last year, but you guys are still trucking through, and it's even growing and growing. So I I just want you to tell everybody, you know, what's going on? How's how's the school going?
0: Well, as you know, uh, uh, Ross, the Lamp is a one-year high-level music program. We're in Santa Monica, California, and we have a site uh, with forty-eight students. They collaborate, write music, produce every single day and we started this last year we're just graduating our first class and we're doing admissions for the next year now and just the level of music that's coming out of this place is mind-blowing uh, we thought it was going to be hard to get people up to professional level uh, but people came in uh, with a growth mindset and uh, they're already at a professional level so these guys are ready to go out because we create a real-world environment where it's just like being in a writing sessions. We pair producers with songwriters and artists and we write songs every single day. Then we break them down once a week, focus on the songwriting, focus on the performance, the production, the beats. Are the beats hitting? Are the titles great? Are the melodies distinct? Is it memorable? What What can we do to make it better? And that's the type of feedback you don't get in the industry, right? No, no one's ever going to tell you what you can do to your song to make it better. They just won't call you back. Uh, we have a program where it feels like the real world, but you get professional feedback from the best mentors in the game.
2: I mean, I can't imagine if we would have had this when we were coming up. Just the ability to not only meet some of the people that you have coming in, but the ability to actually get that feedback is priceless because it took most of us a lot of uh Not so good songs to. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, when we
0: started LAMP, it was, you know, the mission was what can we. Give to the next generation that took us years to learn. What are the things that we wish we knew when we started out that we can tell people? Uh, so there's no formula, but there's definitely certain key principles that never change in storytelling and melody and song structure and all these key things to make. take your song from good to great, which is what it's all about. You know, it's not about having a bunch of good songs. It's about having those few that are great.
2: So tell me, if I'm a student and I come to Santa Monica to be at the school, what would a day look like for me?
0: Well, typical day is that we have uh, mentors or workshop holders in the morning. We show up at 10 a.m. every day. Um, and then by 3 p.m., you're in the studio. You're ba- we have uh, 16 writer rooms where we have, you know, it's fully decked out with microphones and monitors and keyboards and everything. People bring their own, you bring your own laptop, and then... You write songs and create music and try to make magic happen every day. That's, uh, that's our day and that's our week.
2: If I can't get to Santa Monica, is there any way for me to, be, to still learn from school? I, mean, I assume not every student comes to Santa Monica. Is there an online... Yes, we have an
0: online program which is uh, just as big as the, if not bigger than the on-site. Which is, you get the same content, you get air, you get. We share all the uh, mentors, we share all the workshops, we put people in groups. So you, you Zoom or you FaceTime in with your group that week, you create songs, you exchange files. We teach you how to record your own vocals if you don't know how to do that. We teach you how to exchange beats, text over music, uh, and then send that back and create a song by the end of the week, deliver it on Friday and get feedback. Actually, you deliver it on Saturday now because some of the students have jobs, so we want to accommodate for that. Finish your song on Saturday, and the following week you get feedback from our listening panel.
2: Awesome. So admissions open now, how would I apply?
0: You only get in by going to lampmusic.com and sharing your music. You don't need a degree, you don't need uh, necessarily formal education, you only need talent and the ambition and the will to get better. So go to lampmusic, that's L-A-A-M-P music.com. You share your music, we listen to your music, and we reach out, set up an interview, and uh, we'll take you from there.
2: Tor, congratulations on on, you know, keeping this going. Uh, you know, I, I just think you and Mikel are were, have been mentors of mine in many ways and uh, I've just I'm so envious of these kids that they get to do it. So congratulations.
0: Thank you so much, Ross. All right, man. All right. Take care.
2: Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. This do-it-yourself at-home song crafter is one of the most buzzworthy artists in years. Her authenticity is attracting fans from different generations. Her sexuality has been a beacon for the LGBTQ community, and her business acumen has impressed music industry executives from all over the world. She even worked with our very own Phineas on her alternative smash, Serotonin. This Norwegian is so refreshing. And she's just starting out. And the writer is Girl in Red, aka Marie Ulvin. Did I what pro- up? did I pronounce that right or is it like Ulvin?
3: Uh I I would say Olven I'm not I wait, did you say Olven If you did, I think that's fine.
2: I don't I mean, okay, so we can start from the beginning of your story because it's I feel like um it's un You have an unusual path, as as all humans do. But you were born in in Norway, so I just yeah. assumed there was probably like an umlaut over the u. But um, you were so you were born in in Norway. Where in Norway? I was born
3: in a little city called Drammen. Or actually, I think it's It might, it might be a big one, but I was born in Drammen, and then I moved to. Another even smaller city called Horten, and then I lived there for about nineteen years.
2: Why? um, How does a family end up in Norway? Do you know your family's lineage?
3: Um, Well, I know my dad; he's always been in Norway, and like that side of the family has always been in Norway. But my mom, she grew up in Seattle, and then, and I think she she lived in New York as well, and then she had to. Moved to Norway when she was like sixteen, which she is still. She still talks about it as a huge trauma. So that's how they ended up both in Norway, and that's how they eventually met at some point. Uh, And then Norway is a great place to have a family because, you know, you don't have to pay for kindergarten and shit. It's it's a great place.
2: The. Scandinavian culture has uh, notoriously taken over pop music, probably for the last fifty years. What is it about Norwegian and Swedish culture that creates such quality musicians?
3: I have no idea, but I, I mean, I think like you can find quality musicians like everywhere, but I think. Um, because like most of the music industry is it's very like LA based or very like New York, LA, probably mostly LA. But I think one thing that is probably like interesting about Scandinavian or like European artists is that you just get another point of view, like you get like another cultural background into music than than like I don't know, someone that grew up in the US and then has lived in the US their entire life. You know what I mean? So I feel uh-huh. like you can kind of have, I mean, that's the way I've been thinking about it. Cause like, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm often asked if I want to move to LA or like I want to move to the States, but then I'm like, I'm worried. I'm going to like lose my kind of like Scandinavian, um, I don't know, like view on things, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, so I think that's like, I mean, there are great musicians everywhere. Um, outside of Europe and outside America, but I don't know. And also just like this, Scandinavia is a very wealthy part of Europe. And I think people have like the privilege to learn instruments and like, you know, just get recording equipment and all that stuff. So I feel like it's probably like, it's, it's a whole bunch of stuff. I don't think it's one thing.
2: Are your parents musicians?
3: No, not at all. My mom, she works within tech, and I never really fully understood her job, but I think she's like a tech consultant. And my dad, he used to be a police officer, but then he got hit by a car, so now he is like doing some other stuff. I don't even know what he's doing, but
2: yeah. Um, did that happen recently?
3: My dad's car accident? Yeah. No, that was August 16th. 2011, so it's a long time ago.
2: Oh, wow. Um, I mean, at that point, you were only 12 years old. Were you already playing music or writing music at that point?
3: No. I was playing Minecraft. (laughs) Uh, that That was what I was doing. And I was creating pickaxes, Minecraft pickaxes out of cardboard and stuff. So I was on a whole other level back then.
2: So, what introduced you to music, or who introduced you to music?
3: Um, I remember, like in eighth grade, I used to watch this guy make like make YouTube videos of him like playing guitar, and he was like really. I feel like his name was like Justin or something. He was like a really good guitarist, and I I like watched his videos and be like, "Fuck, I really want to play guitar." And then I started like telling my mom I wanted to get a guitar for like, the entirety of like eighth grade, but like she never gave me one. And she, I obviously couldn't afford one because I didn't have a job. But um, yeah, that was like when I started. I just wanted to play guitar because I thought it was really cool. And then in ninth grade, my grandpa, he gave me one eventually for Christmas. And that was great. And that's when I started playing.
2: You have a, a pretty exact memory of those things. Do you have a good memory in general?
3: I don't have a good short-term memory. Well, like I will not, if, if I don't see something, I'm kind of like, it doesn't exist. So like if I see my unpaid bill, put it down on the table, walk out of the room, I'm like, I have no bills to pay. So, which isn't a very good thing. That's my ADHD kicking in all of the time. But I do have a very specific memory of like dates and, and how, like when things happened, like timelines. I have many timelines in my head. So, like, music timeline is very, like, I remember, like, playing in seventh grade during a music class, playing, like, on a on a black guitar because everyone else had, like, normal wood guitars. I remember, like, small things like that. I don't know.
2: When you got that guitar, um, was it an electric or an acoustic?
3: It was a nylon acoustic.
2: Yeah, that's that's the best way to learn. That's definitely... My I had the crappiest one. It was my sister's, and I and she had one, and and I didn't have one. And I I just I beat it to hell. It's in it's in that closet over there. But like I that's oh. de- definitely need a, a nylon to learn how to play. It's just comfortable Agreed. on the fingers. It yes, is.
3: it's like it, I think if you go if you go straight to like the um, I don't know the metal strings or whatever like um, I don't know what they're called. I think Steel that's going to be string. too rough yeah. for like some kids' fingers. You got to like get that, you know, I don't know. It's just nice to start playing with something soft. But I remember like, I was like, this sounds so boring. And eventually like, I really wanted like an electric guitar. And then I bought like a Fender uh, Stratocaster. And then I didn't really have an amp. So it didn't really sound cool because I didn't really understand. I need to, I had to have an amp. So I've really had to learn from scratch.
2: How many sisters do you have?
3: I have one full blood sister, and then I have a stepsister, and then I have a half sister and a
2: half brother were they uh were they musical or were they into music at all
3: no so my sister so you're, she's you're tone just
2: deaf. An, you're just on an island like in your family you're the only you're literally the only music person
3: well like my mom she has like a good ear, but like she's never done anything with it uh and like and she she got that passed on by my grandpa, who he used to have a piano when I was a kid, and like I really loved like you know playing the piano, like I didn't know how to play it. I was just like I didn't understand like the system of the tiles and shit, but he had a piano, and he was a really good piano player, but he's never done anything other than just like playing with his little whiskey on the piano <laughs> and then his mother was a Which would be my my great grandmother, who I've never met. She was a singer and a piano teacher. So there are like musical people, but I've never had them like actively in my life, if that makes sense.
2: Totally. What kind of music were you listening to that, you know, other than Justin on YouTube, who's playing guitar?
3: I was listening to the other Justin, the Justin Bieber as well.
2: Um, Have you met him yet? I was Googling.
3: No, I've never met Justin Bieber, but I met my friend the other day, uh, who's an actress, and she's kind of like she's from Norway, and but she's in like this big Norwegian film that's like nominated for like an Oscar now and shit. And she, we, I don't know, we were talking about Soho House or something, and she said she had met him, and I completely died because I've always been a very big Justin Bieber fan.
2: Um, I mean, I get the feeling that this is uh, that there will be about. Thirty people who listen to this podcast that are going to be texting somebody in the the Justin Universe um, by the time we're done with so. it. so yeah i'm I'm pretty sure that I can connect some dots um, I, I, the it's weird, it's like the industry's so small, and um, there's like a, there's like the there's you're doing music in you know initially at home in Norway. Listening to worldwide artists, but the minute your music's heard, you join into this like small bubble world where everyone knows each other. Um, yeah. You got into making your own music also still pretty young. And I think that's sort of a difference in. You know, there are a lot of people who play instruments, but there aren't a lot that are like, "Oh, you know what? I'm gonna start making songs." When did you start making songs?
3: I remember in 2014. That was like a year after I, like, I'd been playing like guitar like officially for like over a year, uh, and I just remember like I was I was writing bits and pieces here and there, but I never really like fully finished a song. And then I saw this. Um, I saw this like note, it was like a communal like space for like kids that like music or I don't know, just needed a place to hang out. I think, I don't know what you call those things. Um, But it was like a, like a youth area group
2: thing. Yeah.
3: Yes. So I found this little yellow note that said like, Hey, do you want to record your music? Uh, There's here's a studio. And then I kind of like, I saw that note and I was like, wow, I really would want to record my music. And then like, six months later, I went into that studio and recorded my first song. So that was and that that was like in early 2015. I ended up recording my first song and then I put that song out on Spotify and SoundCloud. So that was like me like just like two with like within like two years of playing guitar, I was like, I wanna create songs and I wanna have like recordings of them. Um and I think, like for my fifteenth birthday, which would it would have been twenty fourteen, I also got like a Blue Yeti microphone and a, like a little Apogee thing to record into my Mac. But I didn't understand um, didn't understand it, like the recording process, and it just made me really frustrated. So I never picked it up. But I 2015, first recorded song, fell in love with my voice, never looked back.
2: Wait. You're like the first person I've ever heard say they fell in love with their voice. Like the actual tone or No one likes lo- the voice. But you like you loved hearing it.
3: I loved hearing it. I was like just like I'd never heard like reverb on my voice before I heard that first draft back from the studio and it was so special to me I still I was in my ex boyfriend's bed, and I was like, I was too scared to like play it out loud. So I was like putting it up to my ear like this, and I was like, I got full on goosebumps because I was like, who is this girl singing in this phone? And it, it was me, and I was just so amazed by it. So I just absolutely loved my own voice, which is so weird because I know, but like what you like you mentioned, like I feel like no one likes their own voice.
2: No, but I think that's what makes. um you, you constantly try to get singers to be artists and they're, they're you know that's like our catchphrase in our intros the that there are you know mil- millions of singers there are thousands of artists and there are only 40 songs per genre at a time and and you have you know for you to like your own voice means that you're identifying something unique in it you know like that's exciting that's did did your friends and family, you know, were they were they streaming? Were they going to SoundCloud? Like, how did you start? Were you like, hey, check this out, listen to listen to this thing, or or were you kind of shy about it? Were you doing it alone? Did you have a team of people helping you?
3: Well, no, it was just me, and then the guy from the studio that I found from that yellow note. Really, what was his uh, and- what was his name? The yellow, white, the studio name or his yeah, name? Yeah, his name. Well, his name was Frederick, um, and he was a very he was a very nice guy. Um, probably like his early 30s, just a super music nerd dude. And um, I was doing it pretty much all on my own, but I, I remember when I posted it like the song posted it on SoundCloud. I was like, I put it out on Instagram. I was like, I got my, like my first songs out. And then I put it out on Facebook because that was like, I don't know. I didn't have an audience. So I I only, I could only really share it to like my friends and family. um, And like the people that followed me on Instagram, which was like 150 people. So um, that's when I was always very proud. I was never like shy about it. I was always like, this song is so good, everyone needs to hear it. And then eventually I was like, this song is so good, because I got so much good feedback from it, I put it out on Spotify eventually later that year.
2: But this is under a different name than Girl in Red. This is pre-Girl in Red, right? Yeah, this was Marie Olven.
3: This was when I still was using my own name.
2: Um. Why did you? I mean, you had even a name between that and grown red. Why? Why not stick with just like I'm? I'm Marie.
3: Um, I don't know. I felt like it wasn't interesting anymore because like there was like this big wave in Norway of just having like your own name as your artist name, and a lot of people do that in some way. It's like it's like really powerful. Like if you think of like John Mayer or like. Taylor Swift, those are, like, huge names and, like, really powerful names. But, like, I just didn't feel that with my name. But also, that's because, like, I wasn't at that scale either. But I, I don't know. I just, like, felt like this isn't interesting to me anymore. Like, my my real name isn't interesting. So, yeah. But I feel like, I, yeah, I, then I just changed it to Girl in Red eventually
2: the The idea of saying like, "Oh, I just shared it with one hundred and fifty people on Instagram, and now you have two point something million followers," is kind of insane because it's easy to it's easy as somebody who's just meeting you to be like, "Wow, that's crazy." But when it's your life and you're seeing those numbers tick and add to it, it's got to be I don't know, is it fulfilling? Like what is the word? How would you describe that?"
3: Do you mean like seeing how things have changed and like growth and stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean that's pretty drastic. Like that's got to be, you know, the entire population of Norway is probably less than 6 million people. So you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's got to be about the same population or bigger than Oslo.
3: Yeah. It's like, well, I think there's like 600,000 people living in Oslo. So it's like yeah. four times that. Um Well, I don't know. It's like, well, I feel like now that, you know, I haven't been able to tour for very long, but now I'm back on the road. I think my perception of numbers have kind of become like very like, like I just haven't fully understood numbers recently because like, like what does having 12 million monthly listeners mean? when you never see any of those people or you never experience any of those numbers in real life, you know what I mean? Um, totally. But now that I've been able to go on tour again and like, I was out, like I was buying a bagel yesterday and this girl was like, has everyone ever told you, you look like girl in red. And I was like, the girl, like I was, buying, and I was like, uh, that's me. I was just like, no, but that's me. Uh, and that was so weird and then i was just trying on shoes somewhere and this girl was like are you girl in red and i was like wow jesus christ boston twice in a day this is so random because like i've never really been able to do this since things kind of got bigger and my album came out and stuff so i think it's it is a really drastic change now because like even though getting recognized twice in a day isn't really like a gigantic thing but none of my friends got recognized it's like they're not a musician, but
2: it's still like
3: it is. How been did you insane.
2: respond? How did you interact with those people? Like when you say, when you say, like, yes, that's me. What do they? How do they respond?
3: Oh, she was. She was just like, um, oh, okay, cool. I love your music. I'm a really big fan. And then she was like, can. I'm sorry, can you give me a name for the order? I don't know your name. And then I was like, it's Marie. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so she was, that was, I honestly, I, I, I'm just kind of like, sometimes I'm like surprised that it happens, but I can also kind of tell when it's happening. Cause like you can tell when people are looking at you, but um, I'm just, just excited mostly. I'll just take a picture with someone and hope they have a good day.
2: So there's a huge difference between releasing though from for hundred and fifty people being like I like this a lot and like you said, you changed your name and um you know I read your bio so I know how the story happened. Um but let's go with that, you know, why did you the the day you change your name, why do you change your name besides, you know, no longer wanting it to be Marie?
3: I had for like a longer period of time not felt connected to my Norwegian project. So I'd like felt like I didn't, I wasn't getting any more like Norwegian lyric ideas. I They were all coming to me in English. And then I was like producing all my other stuff and it just felt like a new era for me. Like it felt like this is me trying to say something else than what I've been saying in my music for the past three years. So really what just happened that day was, I just feel like it was me like, like finalizing the fact that like, uh, this is a new era for me. This is, I have new music and it sounds different and it's not more real than music, it's Girl in Red and I can feel that. And there was just like, just had this like feeling that this was the right thing to do. Um, and then I just changed it and put out, so I then I stayed in my room for a couple of days and I made my first English Fully produced song, which was called You Used Me for My Love, which was not a very good song, but Mm -hmm. it was like the beginning of something. And uh, yeah, just started from there.
2: I mean, the first single as Girl in Red is I Want to Be Your Girlfriend. And, you know, you said earlier when you first heard your voice, you know, here you are lying next to your boyfriend listening to it. There's clearly like a personal shift. In that process, too. And then being yep. able to, you know, in a way, it's like I'm sure that I don't know if you were out before that you released that song, but the idea of releasing that song along with a new artist project, it feels like it's the kind of thing that you would hope an artist would have the strength to do. Is to actually be like this is me, and then have such a cool way to say that is. Yeah. Did you find that to be vulnerable or cathartic?
3: Um. Well, I was when I put "I want to be your girlfriend" out. That was like 2017. First, I put it on SoundCloud first, and then it came out on uh, Spotify eventually. When I when I realized that people liked it. Um. But I think I was I was out by then because I, I had had a girlfriend, but I was never like, I never talked about it anywhere. And she was a very, she had reasons to why we had to keep our relationship very private. So I, I it wasn't really on social media either. Um, so for some people, I guess they, some people knew, some people didn't, um, but um, I think people definitely knew when, I put that song out, and also I started doing interviews about it, and then I was like coming out openly everywhere in Norway, and then like in other magazines here in the states and shit. So, um, for me, it was just kind of like it wasn't anything really. It was just like life continuing, honestly.
2: Yeah. Did your was your family and friends? I assume that they were all supportive. It seems like you're well supported.
3: Yeah. I've been, I've, my mom has been very supportive and my dad is more supportive now than he ever, than he was before. He was kind of, he was like, are you a pride girl? What's going on? Like, hmm. who are these people you're hanging out with? He wasn't really a big, like he didn't really understand it at first. Um, but he is definitely more supportive now. And he's like, you know, don't let any girls break your heart. He's kind of he's he's kind of warmed up to it a lot, which is nice. It takes some time for some people, which is weird because it's like your daughter, but it's fine now. So, I've I was I I think definitely the fact that I've been able to just put it, this stuff out without having any like personal consequences has definitely you know made it all very much safe and good for me.
2: The song is you know really kind of. Takes off as far as do it yourself songs go. When you first release it, and I mean, going back to that thing of watching numbers go from zero to, you know, whatever it's at now, um, how did that feel now being like a?
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: New project and then seeing like, oh, this is a different level than the music you were doing that was in Norwegian. Like, did it make you... How did that change your perspective as a songwriter?
3: Do you mean like how, like, if I felt like the newer music had like more like artistic depth to it, and therefore like people were reacting to it, or do you mean like just seeing that people were listening to it more?
2: I don't know, maybe both. I mean, like, I don't know if it has more artistic depth. I, to be honest, like, I started, li- I, I didn't listen to the music that you did before Girl in Red, so you know, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it something that you're that you tell people not to do or is it something that like you kinda I, I don't know.
3: I joke around with it, like don't listen to it it's so bad. But like I'm very proud of it because it's it's out there, it's a part of my history kind of. So I but I just joke around with how bad it is, because it is bad, but um but I'm still proud, you know, because I was I put it out. But I definitely well, when I first put out I Want to Be Your Girlfriend, like no one really listened to that song up until like five months later or something. So like that song had like 5,000 streams uh, and I was like promoting it on a new Instagram eventually. Cause I had this like side Instagram from my normal Marie open Instagram where I was like, Marie Oven, the fingerboarder, which this there are so many levels to this, how things kind of happen. But I had this fingerboard Instagram, because I used to be a very professional fingerboarder, and I used to promote it there. And I used to get a lot of positive reactions there, like DMs and 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 stuff. So I was I was very excited about all the positive feedback I was getting that I maybe hadn't felt like I had gotten before. Plus, like my mom, she loved my new music, and I was like, "Oh, like I feel, I feel like no one said to me like you, you, I didn't like this." But also, like, who would ever do that? Like, in retrospect, like if my friend, even like if my closest friend sends me something they want me to listen to, I'm like, I, it's very hard to be completely honest with someone when they send you creative work. So it just felt different because a a, a little bit more of people were commenting on my music. But then it shit really hit the fan when it got reposted on YouTube in twenty eighteen, January twenty eighteen, fourth of January. I Got my first DM of someone saying that they found my song and it's so good.
2: I bet that I mean a lot of people have get you know, a, hey, that that song's really good. It doesn't blow yeah. up the way that this did. Why did why did um, why did it take five months? Like, what was the moment that it was like, oh no, everyone? I think it was like,
3: I bet someone probably just found it on SoundCloud and then they reposted it on on YouTube and then another account reposted it as well so that like there were two people were posting it my song on YouTube at the same time almost I think it was like the 3rd and the 4th of January they reposted it and um one and then I was like I was I found out, out about this and I was like refreshing it and I was just like seeing how the numbers were growing and then I I I reached out to this like distributor and I was like, Hey, I feel like I have a momentum coming. Like I wanna put this stuff out. And then I also I put out my other song, Summer Depression, like a month later after after the song started to blow up because I was like, I have more music to put out, people are listening, I wanna have more stuff for them to listen to. So I put that out and then um that one Instagram that reposted my song also reposted the Summer Depression song. And then that blew up and I was like, okay, I need to put that song on Spotify as well. And then I put them all out in early March, 2018. And that's when like people started listening immediately on on Spotify. I remember like even the first day I had like 4,000 monthly listeners. And I was like, wow, I've never had this many monthly listeners in my life.
2: Wait, so, how did... How in like a practical sense were you putting it up? Like it's not like you you didn't have a label. You were just doing it. Were you just doing on TuneCore? How were you uploading songs? Yeah, I was these using
3: songs? I was using a distributor called it was called Ditto, d i t t o dot com. It was like upload your own song type of thing. So I did that. And
2: when did people start coming by being like, let me, you know, let me help you, let me manage you, let me be your agent, let me, like, I want to, you know, before you get to, you know, even wall as your newest partner, like, who are the, uh, the industry starts noticing you sometime in the last th- two years, three years. You know, how do do people, who starts reaching out to you first?
3: The first people that started reaching out to me were right before, were like some Norwegian labels right before the songs came out. So like maybe mid-February 2018. So, and the songs came out like 3rd of March or something. And I remember I met one guy, we had like a beer. And well, I I was getting emails like, hey, do you want to go out for a coffee? Do you want to go out for a beer and like talk music. And I was like, I don't understand why all these people want to have coffee. Like what is going on? Uh, Cause I just wasn't into like networking chat at all. Um, but I remember that the my first meeting, one guy, he was like, I want you to not put the music out through Ditto. And I want you to put it out through me. And I was like, hell no. Like, don't tell me what to do. Like, I barely know you and I'm so happy I didn't end up, doing anything with that guy. Cause like we just had like a handshake at the end of the meeting. It was like great talking. Um, and then he was like literally harassing me for so long. He was like so much for a handshake. He was like messaging me all these things to make me feel really bad and guilty for not ending up working with him, which just again proves I made a good decision not working with him. But that's like, it all started in February. And then I met my manager in March, I think, or maybe like maybe April. And uh, um, I was very skeptic because he wanted to help out. And I was like, why the fuck do you want to help me? I was kind of like, he was like, I'll help you get print, printed some vinyls. Because that was like one thing I really wanted to get when I was younger. Um, and I was like, who are you? Why do you want to help me? And then eventually I warmed up to him as well. And then now we're still working together. He's my best friend. He's so cool.
2: I feel like there are, what's his name? His name is
3: Ben Blackburn. Um, he was an a at, at Atlantic. And he was like, he emailed me and I was like, hey, I work for Atlantic. I really want to meet you. Then I did like, I had a very long day of meetings in Oslo and I met him at the very end. And he was like, don't sign to anything. It's so much easier getting into something than it is getting out. Just take a moment. Your music will remain as interesting, and as good and people will not want to stop. People will see your music grow and they will not stop wanting to sign you. So you need to don't, because that's every every new artist think they need to think they're hot shit for only a small period of time. And every new artist need to should view their music as currency and like as value and as something that, they shouldn't be like i need you it should always be the opposite so when he said that i was like that's that makes so much sense like all these people are like begging me to like not do things and like already am because they they see that i'm a, i've never had a foot in the music music industry before so they want to you know they want to play on that weakness so after he said that i didn't sign to anyone did all the label meetings didn't sign to anyone and then i eventually signed way later to awol
2: i mean one that's probably the some of the savviest advice i've i've ever heard on this podcast because i think i think we've we forget on both sides because if, i would imagine most people who get an offer from a even if it's you know over a coffee and uh, get get a record deal they're they're texting their parents on the way home being like i made it you know and they're going to yeah. like that was that the goal is that not you know not the not like what happens to the songs but the goal is more to get the get the record deal everyone hears about oh i'm you know i got signed and they think that that's the that's the goal, versus like yeah, no, and the that's goal like that's when you've made release it. Release the songs well. And that's like
3: if if like you post a picture with someone, like you know, I've seen like a lot of people from Norway like doing like the whole like I just signed to this label. They get so much likes and response and all that shit. But I'm like okay, but the label you signed to, it's like I don't know. I feel like so many, a lot of people, especially like if you're a young artist and you see like a check. Like an, an advance for ten thousand dollars, people will be like lose their shit. But like your music is worth so much more than ten thousand dollars, and more, and like, and you shouldn't be getting like twenty percent of your music royalties, and then like eighty percent to some other major label, or some, some, honestly, indie labels too. They like to take huge cuts of. Like indie labels are, you know, they they can be pretty bad. Honestly, any label can have a bad deal. It's not really about the if whether it's a small or a big label anymore. It's like it's just how much currency do you have or like value do you have to put into the deal so you can get what you want. Which is why I'm very glad I waited a very long time because my value just increased, increased, increased until I started I started my first deal, and then you know that was a very short term deal because I don't want to feel you know. Tied down, and I've all, always just had short deals.
2: Well, it's also a different kind of thing. I mean, explain for people who don't know what a is. What a is?
3: So a is essentially like a distributor, but it's also you. I think you need to apply for a partnership, or you can get signed by them. I met up with an A&R there. His name was Will Hunt, uh, and he was like, you know, love your music, blah blah blah. We had all the chat. And then I met up with the team and I was like, okay, this feels like a right next step for me because it wasn't too like, it was still very much like I I will do everything on my own terms. So AWOL literally stands for a world artists loves or love or something. So it's very artist focus. And I think that's really important. And I think I would totally recommend AWOL for any artist. I just left AWOL for Columbia, but... um, but that's because I felt like I, I, I'd reached my ceiling. And like what, where, like AWOL is really good at helping smaller artists become, find their identity and like help them come to where I feel like I'm at right now. Which is like, either way I could stay here or I could go further with another label. So that's what I wanna do. But um, I, I'm so for, grateful for AWOL. And I really recommend it to anyone who wanna start out somewhere.
2: The there are two quotes that that this stuff makes me think of. One being that um, it's uh, you know I, I think of this in music education where it's like uh, you're trying to teach yourself how not to get screwed, but it's more valuable to know how you're getting screwed. Yeah, you know when you go into a deal. Like and, and the other thing being that you're doing a deal with someone because they want something from you. Yeah. So, like, if you, it's the same sort of thing. But going into a deal, it they're still doing a calculation how they can eventually be profitable by this partnership, you know. And then what you said so eloquently is that we all reach some sort of ceiling, and the question is, can you do it on your own? Yeah. Will it take longer? Maybe. Is, you know, can you do it with this other company? Yeah, probably, but it'll just be different. It'll be a different path. And you start figuring, like, okay, well, what label can really tie things together to to break through those ceilings that we naturally run into because you're just one person with one manager probably doing most of that with AWOL. Yeah. You know, so it makes sense. When Columbia reaches out to you, you know, this is a, your deal is very public in the music industry. I think people were really excited by it because they were the industry was fans of what you were doing. Why that moment and why that label? Well,
3: me and Ben, we did. Uh, a whole bunch of meetings. We met with AWOL because we wanted to give everyone a chance and we were like very transparent with that. Uh, so we like, we met with AWOL and we told AWOL that Marie is doing meetings with other labels and other potential partners for the next album. Uh, so I met up with RCA, Interscope, um, like Virgin Records, like all these like capital, literally so many Atlantic, I met up with so many labels. Um, and eventually we, we we were left with Atlantic, no, not Atlantic, but Interscope and Columbia. And, um, and I think both parties know that now, but so, I mean, there's no really, no secret, but, and we sent the deal we wanted, like we had carefully crafted a deal over a very long period of time with my lawyer and Ben and then, which is still a very artist-focused type of deal. And it's still very much like I want things to happen on my terms. And when we sent that to Columbia, they were like, okay, fine. Like, Marie will get what she wants. Uh, and just like with small tweaks here and there, obviously. But and but uh, Interscope wanted to negotiate quite a lot, like, add another album, et cetera. And it was just like, I don't know, very big bits of, it was just a very different response. And um, me and Ben have always talked about like, all of these labels are capable. Like, that's not the question. It's also kind of just like, they're all capable, but like, how can we ensure that, you know, we take care of your art and your, your music the best way as possible. And how can we can, you know, make sure that you can keep making music the exact way you want to do it. And that's why we just eventually ended up with Columbia. I was, I was having doubts about Columbia as well. Like I had doubts about Interscope and Columbia, but you know, you kind of, that's like the risk taking of just like moving on into something. You don't know what is, I guess, but, uh,
2: I, I yeah, I mean that's any relationship. That was the relationship you had with Ben. That was a relationship with everybody. Like you, you know, we all are like that. Even in personal relationships, you know, it's like yeah. at some point you take you take a leap of faith. Um, did serotonin come out on Columbia, or did it come before the Columbia? That came
0: before
3: Columbia. So I haven't done anything with Columbia. I I signed yeah. to Columbia like a month ago, so it's very new.
2: Oh wow! Uh, okay, yes. Yeah,
3: it's, it's very new. And um, so AWOL is still promoting my album. And um, it, I'm not really, like, I haven't started my official working relationship with Columbia, but I've, you know, met with the team several times and they came to my show just in New York playing two nights at the Brooklyn Steel. They came out. That was nice. Um, and yeah, I think. Um, I think it's a good next next step.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Um serotonin's frustrating because it's one of those songs that I wish I wrote and I don't really have those very often. Oh. Um that's <laughs> that's like it's really good. It's it's really frustrating. It's like you can't help but listen to it a lot and just say oh it's so it's like it's simple, but it's not um but it just feels like it's so hard as a songwriter to be unique and simple and like of course we all should have been able to write that and yet you can't it's smart and it's intricate but it's i don't know it, it i don't how did you guys write that were you writing it with Phineas and Matthias or was it something that you wrote and then they produced like how did that song come about
3: um so i started producing the song first and then I wrote the song, and then I produced it with Matthias uh, for a period of time, and then uh, we were really uh, we really knew that it was a really cool song, and then uh, we have so many versions of it. It took so it took a very took forever to make it, but um, the 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 version three, which is the one I ended up using, um, is. Uh, is the one we, I sent to phineas and and he added like some percussion stuff, some melody stuff, but like the song was really there, but he definitely added it he gave like some cool like gritty sounds to it, which is really cool, but like the whole idea was was there, and like even from the first drafts that I have i I did a tape notes podcast about this a while ago, but um it it was initially always. Like the core was always there and now it's just like it's like fully transformed into this really cool song. Which by the way, I feel like, oh, this song is so simple, I should have been able to write this. I have that with other songs too. And it's really frustrating. It's like yeah, so it's that's like the best songwriter compliment you can really give to anyone, I think.
2: Yeah, I think uh I think I've given that compliment like less than ten times in my life. So there you go. Um uh, take that, put it in your hat or your pocket um do you have any uh do you have any social life now that you're on tour and doing all that like do you have any personal life
3: um, I mean, I always have my personal life, but i I mean it's not very present here I guess it's like i don't know i'm I'm in this hotel room by myself. I was watching Andy Warhol documentary videos stuff mm. last night, which was very moving i'm not sure if you've seen it, but um
2: The one on Netflix.
3: Yeah, it's really good. Uh, And I'm not a big fan of Andy Warhol's art, but it's just really special seeing like reading his diary and stuff. But I don't really.
2: Who are you a fan of art-wise?
3: Like art-wise. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Mostly like Norwegian contemporary artists. I feel like I'm not like a huge like. I don't know. I'm very much into the art scene in Norway. I don't really know what's happening here in the States, but... Yeah. Um, so I, I'm like... I wouldn't say like, oh, yeah, I'm such a big fan of Monet. Like, I'm not... But like, I admire... Like, they, they do cool stuff. But it's like also... I don't know. I'm, I just like seeing up-and-coming artists. And I like to buy paintings, too. So um I'm... Hoping to be a great collector one day. Um,
2: there you go. Yep.
3: Not this painting, um, though. This is not it.
2: Yeah. I know. People probably won't be able to see that. But yeah. um, you know what's weird about hotel art? I will say, like, because it's all based on... Um, it's all based on like, like I think that it, there's a what was his name Rauschenberg. Mark, I think Rauschenberg, I think, is the artist. Where it look, if you look him up, it all looks like that artwork, but oh. it's not because it's Rauschenberg. And okay. it's like there's there are some of these things where you'll go and you'll find like the, you know, the uh, the hotel version of
3: oh yeah real this
2: art. Is- <laughs> doesn't it totally look like that yeah this
3: is this I'm looking at one with like JFK. And it, yeah. yeah, that's, it literally looks like all hotels I've ever, like, they're all, it's always but like,
2: kind of like, I don't know. It's like fake mixed, fake, fake mixed media kind of, yeah. you know. It's so bad. Um, okay. Okay. Next, uh, our, our, uh, our next segment is a five for five. I'm going to list five things and just tell me Um, the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Um. I felt like the first one I should ask is Hannah, whoever that is that's in your Hannah? <laughs> that you. Uh, yeah, that was. I don't even know who who that is.
3: That's a uh, that's a is it called pseudo... No, what's like a name
2: like pseudonym? No, a pseudonym. Yeah.
3: Yeah, pseudonym. Yeah. For a girl called Sandra, who I was in love with. So she was in my class, so I just felt like I couldn't be like, oh, Sandra. So it was, oh, Hannah. So that's that's how does, that...
2: Does she know before this moment? Um,
3: I don't know. I've said this thing before, but I just feel like she wouldn't be watching this content so or like listening to any videos or podcasts or anything. So I feel like she doesn't know. But also, like, I don't care anymore.
2: I'm not in love with her, so it's fine. There we go. Shout out to Sandra. Um, Matthias.
3: Matthias. Tell is my good friend and my collaborator. Um, yeah. Very cute guy. He has a baby now. He just bought a new house. He's settling into his thirties in a very elegantly.
2: Cool. Ben, your manager.
3: Ben, my manager, is that what he said? Yeah, what I what I think of when I hear his name. Yeah, he f- he landed in Manhattan the other day, and uh, flew. No, he landed. He landed at some airport. Flew in from the airport in a fucking helicopter and landed in Manhattan. That's what I'm thinking of. The most
2: Classic. most
3: manager thing I could ever imagine anyone doing.
2: Yeah, they have that shuttle now at, at JFK. And it's like, if you fly and if you land at JFK in the middle of traffic, it sure is enticing to just be like, I'll hop on a helicopter and cut off an hour of your, especially because it lands like kind of on the west side and you can be. You tried you're it? Going to. I haven't done it because I, I I just haven't done it yet, but i'm I'm intrigued enough that I know that I mean, I totally get it.
3: If you travel a lot and you fucking hate traffic, then like I can and it's like hundred and fifty dollars. I mean, it's not even that expensive to fly a helicopter. I thought it would be much more expensive, like thousands of
2: dollars, yeah, but it was like I definitely think it's more than hundred fifty if he got hundred fifty, that guy's getting a deal or it's come down a lot. It's possible it has. 150 bucks, it's cheaper than a, a cab ride from JFK now. Jesus.
3: I, I don't even no, know. I have, I have my tour manager, he, he has my credit card and he just.
2: He, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just waves it around yeah. and somebody pulls up. Um, all right, let's go with your dad. My dad.
3: Um, he's a weird dude. Um, I don't know. We don't have a really good relationship. But I've settled with that. That's okay now. Like I used to be like, oh my God, I don't have a good relationship to my dad. But now I'm like, it's fine that we just talk about my Tesla and his boat. (laughs) That's fine. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Yeah,
3: yeah. so I think the moment you let go of wanting to have a good relationship to someone that you obviously can't have a good relationship to and just take that relationship you have with them for what it is, that's when you come to terms with something, I think.
2: What about your mom?
3: Best friend. She's my best friend. She is my cliff or something. Is that what you say? <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know. Sure. Why not? She
3: really, she, she is very much like me. And uh, I love her so much. And we have a really good relationship. So, um, and I'm so grateful for her. She's also really cute. She thinks she can go on tour with me. She saw the Billie Eilish documentary and she's like, I want to go on tour with you. I want to make sure my baby girl is totally fine all the time. And I'm like, mom, you would never be able to sleep on the bus. And she's like, I haven't slept for 25 years because that's how long she's had kids for. And I'm like, girly, that's not it. You're you're not going to be able to sleep on the bus. I can't even sleep on the bus. So,
2: Yeah, sleeping on a bus is really funny. It's like every time there's a sharp turn, you're like, oh, this is where I... I'm gonna roll off and die, or it's yeah. like you're like, like there's I'm, always a bump, and you're like, what is that? I <laughs> I, I slept in
3: the back of the bus last night, and I literally it, the road was so bumpy. I I swear to God, I I had a little takeoff there in the back. It was, it's it's really bus sleeping is it, something else. It's
2: just enough sleep to get to the hotel room if you if you're fortunate enough, you know. Where yeah, that's. That's at least enough sleep to get through a tour. I think people think, do you think touring's like, is it everything you hoped it would be? Oh, were you going to say glamorous?
3: Because damn, it's not. I
2: was going to say that. Everyone thinks it is, especially if you have a bus. And it's like, uh, yeah, I was going to say that. But do you think it's like, is it what you hoped it would be?
3: Well, I've done a van tour also. And then we had to like check in at, I don't even know if I like the van tour more than I like the bus tour. Because I was sleeping when I did the van tour, but also I was sitting still all the time. Um, but I don't know. It's not a very glamorous thing. It's, it's you know, you shower in dirty places and you don't even want your feet to touch the ground. And it's like, it's, I don't think it's good to never feel like fully comfortable in a place and just feel like you can relax somewhere. Um, and it is just a lot of hard work and, you know, you don't you don't have your stuff with you like people yeah. sleep with their stuff in the bunks and it's like it, it's not really that glamorous um but i'm obviously really grateful to be able to do it on this level like i have an assistant with me now that's something i was like i need more help on tour so that's in some uh, way that's kind of like you know an extra perk i have
2: um are you right are you riding on the road? Are you riding in the bus or, you have, or are you
3: I just ordered for this tour I ordered like a mini mini studio. So I am riding on this tour actually. I produced this little beat the other day. Is it good? Is it not? I don't know. But you know, you gotta keep trying. Gotta look for the gold.
2: Totally. Well, I guess my last two questions are are you you write a lot of stuff by yourself. Do you ever wanna collaborate and or write for other artists?
3: Um, I think I could do that at some point. Uh, but right now I'm very much in my like I wrote my entire album by myself and I wrote I've written every single song by myself. So right now I'm very much like I wanna wanna write stuff for me, but I think in, you know, when I feel like I'm kind of done with that or something. It will be cool to produce mm-hmm. for other people, or to uh, write for other people, or just like even just have a little bit of something to do with someone's record. I think could be fun.
2: Well, thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, it's we we had never met before this, but um, I'm obviously very familiar with your work because uh, it's one of those things that people, you know, you try to explain this to artists that. Who go out there looking for a manager and looking for a label and looking for these things. They the time to find those people are when they come to you. Yeah. And and you're creating music that people are talking about behind your back. It's not you having to drive the conversation. It's that you're creating music that you love, and then people are like, Hey, you gotta hear this. This is actually really good. Check this out. And you're doing it in that's such an authentic way. And not everybody has that skill set. not everybody's that fortunate to to see the world in such a unique way and you know you're earning all of this, and it's just it's i'm you know i i it's weird for me to say like I'm proud of you because I don't know you that but like <laughs> there's a lot of people who are proud of of people who are young in the business who are taking control of their career. And you're doing it in such a classy way. And uh, it's just impressive. So, thank you for doing the podcast. And I hope that we have, we catch up in a year and a half from now after your next album is number one on all these charts.
3: Oh, we'll see. I mean, that would have been really cool. That's like the most exciting part of this is like, I really don't know what's the next thing. And you don't know like how things are going to go. This might be the peak, but then. If it is, then like, okay, whatever, then I'll we'll figure out something else. But it's still it's still insane thinking we don't know what's gonna happen. But that's also just life in general.
2: But but it depends what your goals are. If your goals are like you can't guarantee that you're gonna have number one songs that do a lot of things, but you can pretty much look at even just analytics and know, okay, well, more people continue to notice your artistry and so they'll support your next album. You're clearly on an up upward trajectory. Um as long as you just release music that you're proud of, like
3: Yeah, I think everyone's that's everyone's
2: gonna everyone's okay. gonna check it out.
3: I think that's the that's what I can control. It's like what I put out. And I've always I've always put out music I'm really proud of. So I think um I'm just going to stick to my my gut feeling because I think I have a good one. Yeah. So we're just going to keep making stuff. But I really I appreciate you, you having me on the podcast. Hopefully the sound isn't terrible and I'll send you the the recording and stuff.
2: And Perfect.
3: Hope you have a good day, man.
2: There you go. You too.
3: Play some of those guitars in the back.
2: This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis, Mega House Management, and myself. Shout out Paige McDonald, Kelly Fox, Casey Robinson, David Silberstein, Tim Kirch, and Zach Weinstein. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan, signing off.